I think that's a super cool bumper to, to come up to, to speak on that because it captures moments. And, and you can see those, and many of you are in many of those pictures, and, and those, those are moments that are captured. And I think a lot of times we just pass through moments like they're no big deal. We forget moments because we didn't put an emphasis on them or whatever. And, and to have that video showing the moments that we have, I think is really cool uh, to do that and, and to have those moments that are there. And, and there's many moments that, that go on, and, and we need to make the most of them. Um, something I would, I would love your help with today is actually Jared Mitzelfeldt's birthday, and uh, he's home with the flu so that's great. But if I could just wave to the camera and say, happy birthday, Jared. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Jared. All right. So now he knows he's loved and uh, we can move on and he better be at work tomorrow. So um, we can continue with that. Second thing is, uh, and maybe you, you heard about it. We had a bit of an intense weekend around here uh, with, with our, our pastoral staff. As you know, Mark and Pam are taking their time. Um, and Jared had the flu and then uh, got a call or a text early Friday morning about 5 a.m., uh, that Jim Moorhead uh, had a heart attack. And uh, I don't know if you'd heard that or not. Pretty pretty remarkable where we are now and where we were then. At that time, he was taken over to Round Rock Hospital, where he, he still is, but he um, had 100% blockage of the main artery in his heart, which they call the Widowmaker, uh, for a reason. And he got there in time. And uh, it's amazing. They picked the hospital uh, in Round Rock so that Flint could have privileges there, but not realizing, hey, they also have a very specialized heart hospital there at Round Rock. Um, and just so happened that the doctor on call is one of the few doctors uh, in all of Central Texas that actually does a stent in a fully blocked artery, and he just happened to be the one on call. He happened to be the one to do the surgery, and he happened to be on call all weekend long to oversee what's going on. Um, so pretty rough last uh, 48 hours for Jim and Pam as they walk through that, but uh, he's getting out of ICU today. The goal is to go home tomorrow. He does have a picture to say hi to us that he sent. There he is. Doing well. Hopefully that's his Bible he's reading. And, uh, and you can feel free to make fun of his yellow socks. And if you need more. He was supposed to preach today, actually. So he's kind of here with us. <laughs> if I need to, I could preach like this today. And uh, no, I, uh, I, appreciate, I appreciate Jim so much in, in all of that. If you'll just let me pray over Pastor Jim and our staff. And just this time would be great. Prayer is so vital. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for meeting us where we are, loving us the way we are. Thank you that it wasn't Jim's time to come home and be with you, uh, that we want him here. And so we are grateful that he got there in time and the doctor was there and all of the details. And even the fact that this was going to be a time that all the family was going to be together this weekend anyway. And so it was already worked out where they got to be together. And so, God, we just pray that your healing hand would continue in his heart, um, in his life. God, I pray that Pam would get refreshed after a lot of caretaking this weekend and and a journey ahead to make sure he gets um, gets healthy in that. And, and so, God, we just pray that you would restore quickly, God, this, uh, whatever's been done there. We pray, Jared, that you would heal him up from the flu and that Sam wouldn't get sick either, uh, protect their family. Um, God, we do pray for Mark and Pam that their rest and relaxation are coming to them, and, and they're going to come back super excited about what you're doing there. So to you be the glory in all things in every moment, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's that's kind of a, a, an interesting deal. So um, so now you have me preaching instead of Moorhead today. And so that's where we're at. And we're going to dive into some scripture and kind of look at some things going on. Last week, last two weeks, Brett has talked a lot about the importance of connection and community and being in groups, whether that's Bible fellowship during the 945 hour or uh, midweek groups that happen all the time, all over the place um, and getting to be a part of that. And I thought that's super important to hear that and to know that uh, we tend to isolate way too much anyway. And so he talked about that 
And one of the things in last week, the, the video that I showed, Amy and I got to record a little bit of our video and talking about how we got involved with a group and what that looks like. And I made a statement in there. It said, um, when you don't want to do something, you make an excuse. And when you do want to do something, you make a way. And, and I believe that to be true in so many things. Like, I mean, if Moria didn't want to preach today, uh, he didn't have to make an excuse like that one. I'm just, there was better ways to do it, Jim. Um, but I guess a heart attack is, is a good enough excuse to not preach today. Um, but, and, and just, by the way, if you're wanting to help, uh, many people have asked, how can we help? What does, what does Jim need? Uh, he's beginning to collect, um, kale and spinach and broccoli for the smoothies that he will be eating from now on. And, uh, that will be, that will be, um, yeah, but, but anyway, we, we, you have to make a choice. Are you going to make an excuse? Are you going to make a way? And that's, that's so true in life in different ways too. And there's a guy in scripture that faced this and we're going to look at it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter five is where we're going to be. John chapter five. And we're going to start in verse one. And, uh, we're kind of do this in two parts. First part of the story. And then Paul Harvey as he's as the rest of the story will come at the end. But John chapter 5, we'll read all uh, first nine verses together right now. It says, uh, and where's Matt? I apologize that I'm reading to you, but uh, you'll be okay. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, This story fascinates me in so many ways. I think there are so many different angles that we can look at it, so many questions that we can ask to help us dig into the depth of this story because it's a nice little historical story and that's all fine, but man, there's so much good truth that we can get out of this thing. And so I want us to to grab some of the, the neat points, but also want us to be challenged by some of the things that he walked through. The first that, that kind of caught my attention is talking about the very beginning when Jesus came back for a festival and we don't know which one it was. We just know that it was a day of significance. It was a a day of celebration. It was a bigger day. He's there for a feast. He's there for this festival that's going on. And and it's interesting to me that that everybody else knew that it was this day of significance. Probably the guy who's an invalid, his day was never going to be different anyway. Like his day is going to look exactly the same. And so he looks at the calendar and says, so what? It's a festival. I'm stuck here at the pool, not realizing that it was a day of significance for him. And I think a lot of times we look at the calendar and see how significant it is for other people and think, well, there's nothing in it for me. And that's just wrong. Every day is a day of significance as we walk with Jesus. There's not a day that's wasted. There's not a moment that he wastes. He's capturing it for eternity. He's always at work and doing things. And so this day of significance was here. And so Jesus comes into the temple court and he says that he came in and there near the sheep gate, the pool of, of, uh, of Bethesda. We have a picture. This is an artist rendering of what it probably looked like. So you can kind of see that's the, the two squares or the pools of Bethesda. Um, and that's where the healing would take place. But on the top left, you can see that little bitty hole there. That's the sheep gate. And it's not the main entrance, obviously, to the temple court, but it's the sheep gate, literally where the sheep would be brought in for sacrifice. And this is a, a day of celebration. There was probably sacrifice that went on with that. And so they're coming through the sheep gate. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the Lamb of God, chose to come through the sheep gate? 
So we can't miss those little things that God. Jesus is in the details. Everything's significant, and he knew who he was. Nobody there did. They didn't know what was coming on the cross, but he knew that he was going to pay the price. He was going to be slaughtered for our sin. So he came through the sheep gate. I just think that's fascinating right there that the Lamb of God would do that. Then the second thing, we get there, and that's the pool of Bethesda. You saw the pictures. Bethesda really means house of mercy, which is interesting to me that that would be a place Jesus would be drawn to where he could extend mercy. That was already said in that kind of stuff. And, and there was... There was stories. Um, I, I can't tell you 100% theologically, doctrinally. I'm not super smart anyway. But in my studies, I can't find anywhere that it's documented that people were actually healed in this thing. It absolutely could have been an old wives' tale. It could have been something they believed that these waters were going to heal. Um, matter of fact, you can see in most of our translations of the Bible we use, verse 4 is actually left out. Um, only in other manuscripts is it in there, which would say, why are all these people here They were here for this healing because it was believed that at certain times that the waters would be stirred by an angel. And when the waters were stirred, the first one in would be healed. Now, we don't have documented evidence of anybody actually doing that, but these people believed it. They believed that that this was a significant thing that was there. They would they would do that. And whether or not that's true, it's interesting that all these people put their hope in the water. They gave all the credibility to the water. The water is going to heal me, not realizing that the healer was walking among them. And too often we put our hope in man-made things instead of God himself. He is still among us. He invites us into this. And there's a great number of people. How many is a great number? I don't know. To some that may be 20. To some that may be 100. It may be 1,000. My guess is several hundred were there. It's a large area you can see. And they would be brought or they would go or they would walk or they would show up. And all of these different people that are described in there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, they were all down there hoping for healing, hoping that something would happen to give them hope in that. Hundreds of them there. And and they're looking for healing in this water. Now, some would say that the pools of the The reason the water would get stirred is because they were fed by a natural spring. And when the spring would come down, it would bubble the water up that there really wasn't an angel that did that. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. But all I know is this, that a lot of times I'm guilty of asking God to change my circumstances. And that's what they were doing. Hey, just change my circumstances. I want to be healed. I want to be able to see. I want to be able to walk. I want to be able to to do whatever, to speak. Whatever the, the condition was they were in, they're wanting that to change. And I wonder how many times when I'm saying, God, please change my situation, change my conditions, that the very thing I'm asking him to change is the thing he's going to use to change me. And yet I'm against that because we don't like change. We like things the way they are. Don't mess with my routine. Don't mess with my normal. Don't mess with that stuff. Let me have mine the way I want it to be, God. I want to control you. I want you to wave a magic wand and do what I ask. Instead of, I surrender to you to do whatever, and the thing that I'm wanting him to change is the thing he's going to use to change me. It's just something to think about as I, as I kind of read through this story and prepared to do this. And so, there's these hundreds of people, this large gathering of people, all there, all of them in bad shape, right? They're needing some kind of help that's going on. So Jesus shows up into this group. He walks through the sheep gate and goes down to the pool of Bethesda, and he's walking among all of these people. My question is this, and I... I I ask a lot of questions. It helps me learn when I do that. And I think it's fascinating to do that. Why did Jesus not just heal everybody that was there? Like, he's God. 
He's capable of doing that. Why not just walk into the pool and go, healing for everybody? Like, why didn't he just do that? He could have done that, but he didn't. He picked one guy. Why did he pick this one guy? How did he get lucky enough to be the one guy? I mean, not that we need to question God, his purposes are higher than mine, his ways are higher than mine. I don't have to understand. I just have to trust. But I wonder that, that this guy, but he is drawn to this man 38 years an invalid. 38 years he's stuck in this position right here. Now, the Bible doesn't say what caused his condition. We don't know exactly what it was. I think later on we get a cue, and, and, and we'll talk about that towards the end here and this kind of thing. But he chose this guy. He chose this one particular guy. And when we look at his story and who he is and his response and all this stuff, I think it gives us some pretty good insight into ourselves, if we're willing to be honest. And so that's what I'm going to ask of us, is to be honest in this, because there's three questions I want us to deal with today. And they come straight from this story, and and I think they challenge our heart in a very good way. Or maybe it's just mine, and you have to go through it with me. But question number one is this, and it's right there in the text. Do you want to be well? That's the first question that we have to deal with. Do you want to be well? Well, the obvious answer should be yes, right? Any normal person would go, yes, I want to be well. I promise you, when I went to the hospital Friday morning, and, and I see Jim coming out of surgery, and he's in the room in there, and he's flat on his back, and if I'd said, hey, Jim, do you want to be well? I don't think he's going to go, well, I don't know, man. I really enjoy hospital food. Like, this gown makes me look good. You know, check out the yellow socks. Like, that's not what his answer would have been. His answer would have been, yes, anything to not have to go through this. And that's just a few hours. This guy's 38 years. And his response was not an immediate yes. That baffles my mind. Why would he not do that? And I think the answer is simply this, because it would make him change. And we don't like change. I, I think that, that he struggles with that. Now, I don't know how old this guy is. I know he's been an invalid for 38 years. I don't know if this is something that happened at birth. And so he's 38 years old. And this is all he's known. I don't know if there was some kind of childhood incident. I, I don't know what, what went on with that. I, I don't know if he made a poor choice as a teenager and it ended up costing him. Like, I don't know. Was he, was he drinking and driving a donkey that he shouldn't have been driving? Like, I don't know the situation that was going on. I just know for 38 years he had been an invalid, and he is struggling, and he became a beggar who lived off the pity of others. That was his role in life, and and he's lived there for 38 years and had his cup and people come and help him, or, or maybe his friends brought him down there. I don't know, but I know that he was living off that, and maybe he didn't want to go make a living. He had a pretty good one, because if he if he got healed then he would have to venture out into something he didn't know. This is what he knew. And to us, it seems like a bad place. For him, it's 38 years. I've gotten used to it. It's no big deal to me. He would lose all of his securities. He would end up being responsible for himself. He'd probably have to find a job, take care of himself, enter a whole new world. To be healed meant to enter a new life with incredibly awesome opportunities, but also an incredible amount of risk. Because it was something he didn't know. It was new. It was scary. It, it was out there for him. And, and after 38 years, he had accepted his condition. He was content with his situation. And being paralyzed was actually a help because people would feel sorry for him. They just give him some money. So he had enough in his mind to do that. Um, and now that he's healed, he's going to have to get on and take responsibility for his life. And maybe he didn't want to. Maybe he was okay with other people taking care of him. Maybe he was okay with, with saying, I'll just be lazy. I'll just watch Netflix all day. I don't, I don't know. 
If they just gave him a phone and said, here, go play games. Like, right? The question I have is, what conditions have I decided that this is just my situation and it'll never get better? Maybe it's not a physical place. Maybe it's a relational place or an emotional place or whatever place that's there. What sickness have I become okay with because that's just the way it is? And I don't think that God's okay with it just because that's the way it is. I, I see this in many different ways, but I'll give you two from my perspective on how I view the world and the way that I see things, that there's two very significant ways that this has become okay because it's just the way it is. Number one of those things is loneliness. I've seen a lot of people just say, it's okay. well, that's just my lot in life. That's okay. That's just where I'm going to be. And that's not okay. I mean, the very first thing that God said wasn't okay in the Bible says not okay for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. So he created marriage. He created the family. He created the church. He created these things to solve the crisis of aloneness. It's not okay to be alone. It's not okay to isolate. It's not okay to be by yourself. It's not okay. And we're just like, well, that's just how it is. It's just okay. No, it's not. Stop it. That's not what God has in plan for here. We've been talking about these groups, these opportunities. You have them. The number two thing that I see a lot that people's like, well, that's just how it is, is in the issue of pornography. Well, it's not that big a deal. It only affects me. Yeah, you know what, you know what pornography does? It isolates, makes you lonely, it makes you depressed, it makes, it skews reality. Well, that's, that's just, that's my issue. That's not even, I do it privately. I do, no, you know, it affects you. It's not okay. And when you isolate and get alone, then you think that's an escapism that's going to be okay, and it's not. When we can be in community and help each other, we don't have to live under that stuff. We don't have to stay stuck. And this man did not have to stay stuck. He was asked, do you want to be well? We'll get to his answer in a second. Because his answer is question number two for us, which is this. Are you making excuses or are you making a way? And this guy right here, see, the, 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 this group of people that he was a part of, they had this group thing going on that the only way that things would change is if I get in the water. Otherwise, it'll never change. So they had, they had settled on that, that there are no other options, only the water in the pool of Bethesda. That's it. That's the only thing they had. And so when Jesus shows up and says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Instead of a resounding yes, he was so messed up in his thinking that his reaction was not that at all because he thought, well, I've got this figured out. I'm not going to be unless I get in the water. So unless you're going to roll me in there when the water gets stirred up, man, I'm, I'm toast. This is what I'm going to be. So instead of saying, yes, that's what I want, he started making excuses. And he said, I don't have anybody. That was his answer. I don't have anybody that can put me in the water. And when I try to get there, someone gets in there first. Woe is me. He's living as a victim mentality. And so instead of choosing to make a way, he's choosing to make an excuse that's there. And, and he puts his entire faith for a miracle into the hands of men instead of the hands of God. And I don't know about you, but I know I've been guilty of that too many times in my life. God, I want something supernatural to happen, so who's going to do it? And he's like, uh, I'm God, but I don't ask him because I need somebody else to do it. Somebody else has to give me a hand. Someone else has to roll me in the water. Someone else has to... And we make excuses instead of making a way. No one determines what you receive from God. You are the only one that can make that choice. We choose what we receive from God or what we reject from God. And it's not on anybody else to do that. But I've heard it say, I don't have anyone. Nobody likes me. There's no one to help me. Nobody cares about me. I have no friends. 
And, and unfortunately, too many people feel that way. And maybe you've been let down by uh, and disappointed by everybody that you've ever trusted. And maybe your trust is broken. And maybe you need some healing of your truster. And it's not a physical condition of being paralyzed where you can't get in the water. It's, a, it's an emotional or spiritual condition of being completely paralyzed because you don't want to trust anybody anymore because you've been hurt so bad. Whatever that hurt is that's there. Maybe it's my dad deserted me. My boss fired me. My pastor failed me. My friends hurt me. My spouse left me. My family doesn't want me. And unfortunately, those things are too common in our culture today. And I hate that right there. But they cannot allow you from God, keep you from God's plan. See, we, we use them as excuses and think we're disqualified from God's best and God's plan. And we're not. None of those things that happen, nothing that happens to you is, is, is defining of who you are. You are not defined by what you've done. You're not defined by what's been done to you. You're defined by what's been done for you. And what's been done for you is Jesus on the cross paying the price for our sin and, and dying there and three days later getting up from the grave. That's what's been offered to us. That's what's out there for that. And, and, and so these things that hurt us, we think, I'm too wounded, I'm too messed up, I've got too much going on. And we start making excuses. And Brett, for the last two weeks, has given us incredible opportunity to say, I'm going to bust out of that. I'm not going to sit and feel sorry for myself anymore. I'm going to walk through this with somebody else. I'm going to let somebody else walk through this with me. Because you need people to lean on. And you know what? You need to be someone worth leaning on to. See, it goes both ways in that. And so we've had the opportunity, and Brett said over 120 have done that. You're thinking, I haven't been here the last two weeks. Okay, then you can go online right now, centralrr.com slash groups, and fill out the thing, and we will get in touch with you. There's an opportunity to do that. There's a significant time to do that. And so I want everybody to grab their bulletin and fill out the... No, I'm just kidding. We did that the last two weeks. We won't do that anymore. But the question is this. Do you want to make a way, or do you want to make an excuse? See, he had to make that choice. That's what this man stuck in, in this situation had to do. You're going to make excuses or you're going to make a way. And then the craziest thing happened of all. God created the way for him. So question number three that we have to deal with today is this. Are you going to take advantage of opportunities? Are you going to take advantage of opportunities? Jesus offered this man a new and unusual opportunity. And the crazy thing is Jesus didn't sit down and go, Hey, by the way, there's this pool over here, and let's talk about how we can get you in it, and I'm going to be here. And Jesus never mentioned the pool at all. He never mentioned the water. He never mentioned its alleged abilities to provide a cure. He didn't do that. He completely changed the narrative from where this guy was focused. He was focused on himself. He was focused on his situation and his circumstances. And Jesus says, no, I want you to focus on me. Look at me. Look at me. Now, how did he know about this guy? I don't know. It doesn't give us the details. Had Jesus had a conversation with him to find out it had been 38 years like that? I don't know. Did someone else tell him? He's kind of asking, hey, tell me about that guy. Tell me about that guy. I don't know. Maybe he's just Jesus and he already knew. And so he just walked in and knew the answer. That's completely plausible. But somehow Jesus found out this guy's 38 years and was drawn straight to him. And the first words that we hear him say are, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? And the guy starts making excuses and saying all this stuff. And so Jesus just stops it and quits asking questions and now makes a statement. And he said, get up, take up your mat, go home, go walk. That's what he told him to do. He gave him that absolute direct things that happened right there. This is what you're going to do. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now the guy has a choice. An opportunity has been presented to him. And I... Man, I don't know how this happens. My mind thinks weird things. I'll just be honest with you about that. I don't think like normal people a lot of times. And, and so I always want to go, God, put that on the DVR. What happened in this moment? 
Because it says he got up, picked up his mat, and he walked. Like, was this an instantaneous thing? Was this, he's laying there, and all of a sudden his legs go, and he rises up like a zombie on his own? Like, he didn't even realize, like, all the muscles got strong, and now I'm up? Or did he, like, feel it, like a tingle in his spine? Like, oh, man, what's happening to me? And all of a sudden he gets up, and he grabs, like, yeah, this is good. And he walks, I don't know. It gives us a very short narrative of what happened. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Whoop, that jump, and he's out. And he's walking. Like, that's what happens. But he had to make a choice in this when Jesus said that. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. His first choice is this, that he could hear and ignore. He could hear it and say, oh, man, that's really good, but forget it. I, I know how this works. That hadn't, that's never happened to anybody. It's not going to happen to me. It could never happen to me. I've been in this condition for 38 years. No good things ever happened to me. So I'm just going to ignore what you're saying. I'm just going to lay there. He could have just done that. Number two choice is this. He could have listened and hoped. Get up. Take up your mat and walk. Man, that really sounds good. I hope it works. <laughs> but I'll just lay here. But that sounds so good, man. Well, that's a dream. But it'll never happen for me. Or number three, he could listen and obey. He could hear and go, that is for me. And I'm going to be different now. My life is going to be different now. It might be hard. It might be challenging. But I'm going to get up and go. And he got up and walked. Now, I don't know what his mindset was. I don't know how that happened. It could have been all of that. But I know this. Jesus invited this man into his miracle. And he hasn't stopped doing that. Jesus is still inviting us into his miracle. But, but we've kind of discounted that because in our culture, those kind of miracles don't happen. Can I tell you right now, the fact that Moorhead's watching this on Facebook Live right now is a miracle? It's called the Widowmaker for a reason. God has not stopped doing miracles. We've just stopped believing that he does for us. They're for other people. But Jesus invited this man into his miracle. Now, it's a bigger miracle for him than it is for us. Why? For a couple of reasons, I'll tell you. Number one, you and I have several advantages over this guy in the story. One, he'd been in this condition for 38 years. For some of you, you're just now realizing that you have a condition. And you're like, oh, he got my attention. Just like he got more his attention Friday morning. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, maybe you're just recognizing that. Or maybe you've known it for a while. Maybe it's something you've hidden from everybody else and pretended that everything's okay. But this guy was 38 years in this condition. And we find out in the next few verses that he didn't even know who Jesus was. That was out of his realm of understanding. We know who Jesus is. We have the whole story right here. We've got it. Number three is, is he didn't have anybody to assist him. He had nobody to help him, right? We've got each other. We've got these groups. We've got these opportunities that have been presented. Are we going to take advantage of the opportunities? Just like this guy had to do that. And the last thing is, we have the good news of the gospel. This story happened before the cross. They didn't know that it was coming. Jesus did. The rest of them didn't know. That's why he came through the sheep gate. He knew what was coming. But these guys didn't know. They're just laying there, feeling sorry for themselves, stuck in their condition. Right? That's what's happening in them. We know we're on this side of the cross and we know the power of it. We have that as a huge advantage for us. That gives us hope. If he can beat death, he can beat whatever situation we're currently dealing with. And if we believe that to be true, then let's quit making excuses and start making a way. Let's take advantage of the opportunities that he has for us on that. But too often, we choose to be paralyzed. We choose to let it grip us. We choose to let fear win. Fear is not. God said, let us not. he does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. That's what he gives us. 
Fear is not from him. Fear, matter of fact, is counting on us forgetting who God is. But faith reminds us who we are in Christ. So is fear or faith going to win when the opportunities are presented before you? I'm too scared to get in a group. They might not like me. They don't like my kids. They don't like my baggage. They don't like my history. They don't like... We just fill in the blank with all the things and the reasons and excuses that we shouldn't connect with other people. And God says, I'm tired of excuses. I'm making you a way. Just like with this guy. Get up, take up your mat and walk. Brett has laid that out for us the last two weeks and removed the excuses. Here are groups. Let's get in one. And it might be messy at first. It might be uncomfortable at first. Well, I don't know them. God does. He made them in his image. He doesn't make junk. Let's get connected. Let's take a chance. Let's be risky in that kind of deal. Are we going to take advantage of the opportunity to not be alone in our faith? Because the opportunity is presented. This is a group. I get it. But you can be awful alone in this space right here. But you can't be in a group because you get vulnerable. You start sharing. You do life together. Like I said, it's going to get messy at times. That's when we're there for each other. Choices, man. We've got to make them. So now we hit the rest of the story because maybe it answers a few of our questions. So we, we finish verse 9 and go through 15. It says this. Now that day was the Sabbath. Hmm. See, Jesus always does ridiculous things like that. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed. Isn't that interesting? He was the invalid for 38 years. He was defined by his condition. Now he's defined by his healing. Even the Jews recognized it. I just think that's cool. So he said to the, uh, to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. What are you talking about? Legalistic jerks. It's the Sabbath. You can't. That guy's been laying down for 38 years. He wanted to stay laying down for one more day because it's the Sabbath. Get up, take your mat and walk, right? He's going to get up and do this. And so they, they call him out on it. Hey, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bed like that. Look how he responds, though. Uh, but he answered them. The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. He totally just threw Jesus under the bus. That was his response. Hey, you're not supposed to do this on the Sabbath. Wasn't me, man. That guy that healed me told me to do it. Don't blame me. He had just had an incredible life change of 38 years, and he's throwing the guy under the bus. And then look what happens to that. They ask him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? One of the most saddest verses in all of Scripture, verse 13. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. It says, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. I don't know about you. If I was an invalid for 38 years and some guy came up and said, get up, take up your mat and walk. I think I might find out his name. I think I might say thank you. I think I might offer him a gift card or something. Like I would find a way to show a little bit of gratitude in this situation. He didn't know who he was. But he sure was willing to throw him under the bus so he didn't get in trouble. Hey, you're not allowed to carry your bed. Wasn't me. That guy that healed me told me to do it. They're more concerned about him breaking the legalistic law than the miraculous healing that took place. Even the Jewish people were in that way. It's just, it's so frustrating to me to do that. And so he did not even know who it was. um, And so he couldn't tell them. So like, all right. Then it says, verse 14, afterward, we don't know how long that was. Was it later the same day? Was it the next day? We don't know what afterward means. It was just after the incident that happened. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, which I think is also interesting that he didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him. Because Jesus doesn't stop seeking us. Jesus doesn't give up on us. Jesus doesn't quit pursuing us. Even when we don't pursue him. Even when we're ungrateful for what he did. 
He's pursuing him. So it says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well! And there's an exclamation point. So Jesus must have been super excited about this. He went and found him. Look, hey man, you're still good. You're still walking. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting? And then the very next word Jesus says, See, you are well. Sin no more. (laughs) He's going to call him out. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Whoa. Sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, again, maybe I'm stretching here, and and I'm not trying to assume anything. I'm just asking the question on this. But my question is this. Was his sin the reason he was in that condition? The wages of sin is what? Death. So anything short of death is actually mercy on God's part. So being crippled or lame or could be a punishment for sin. It's still less than death, so it's merciful from Christ. I don't know that that's the cause of his condition. But Jesus did say, sin no more, which is not just a one-time, one-off, oops, I messed up, kind of slipped up kind of sin. This is an ongoing sin. Quit doing this sin that you've been doing. Quit ongoing with the same sin that you've been sinning. And then he says, or that nothing worse may happen to you. What could be worse than being an invalid for 38 years? What could possibly be worse than that? How could you say that? Hey, man, you better stop sinning or it could get worse. than What's worse? I'll tell you what's worse. Hell. That's what's worse. You know what's worse than, than laying paralyzed on this planet? Forever and eternity away from God. So I deduce by that to say maybe the sin that he was continuing in was a sin of disbelief, the sin of doubt, the sin of rejecting Jesus. Because that's the only sin that causes hell is when we reject Christ. And so this guy right here, when Jesus confronts him, something else bad could happen. We can only surmise that, that forever, eternity without Jesus, his continual sinning is his lack of faith. And the thing is, I don't even know, we never hear from this guy again, so I don't know if he ever came to a relationship with Jesus. Like, all I know is that verse 15 tells us that he went, what does it say in verse 15? It says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. That's what happened next. Not only did he throw Jesus under the bus originally, he throws him under the bus by name. He went back to the Jews and said, hey, the guy that healed me, his name's Jesus. He's the one that told me to carry my bed on the Sabbath. Go get him, not me. And you can read on the rest of the chapter, which I encourage you to do. And persecution began to come against Jesus. So this guy who had completely had his life transformed with now having hope and healing and health and all those things, his response is not, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's, it's Jesus who did it. End up costing him his life. I don't know if this guy ever came to Christ. It's not my place to judge him. But too often I do. Because I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe he would throw Jesus under the bus. I can't believe that he would reject Jesus in that way. But yet I look at my life and how many times does my actions reject Jesus? How many times do I choose what I want over what he wants? See, I'm not any better than this guy. Now, I have a relationship with Christ. I surrender to him and what he's done on the cross, and I believe that he died in my place for my sin and rose from the dead. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I've done that. I know that. But it doesn't make me a better person. It just makes me a redeemed sinner. And this guy is just a broken sinner that hadn't been redeemed. He'd just been healed. And too often we want the healing more than the healer. 
and we miss out on the opportunities that he has for us. I think I might respond a little different than tattling on him, but I don't know. If he rocked my world to that point that it cost me things that I was comfortable with, I don't know. And maybe he's telling you, you need to give up some things that you're comfortable with to come and surrender and follow me. Maybe you need to give up your pride and get in a group and quit being alone. Maybe you need to quit having that secret sin and expose it to the light so you can be healed. I don't know, but I know that we have three questions to respond to. Do you want to be healed? You're going to make an excuse. You're going to make a way. And what are you going to do with the opportunities that's been presented? Because Brett gave us some great ones, and now here God's giving us even more. How are we going to respond? The choice is ours. Just like Moorhead. Is he going to go back to Whataburger or Kale? See, we got choices to make in our lives. Every day and every choice has a consequence. And my encouragement to you is respond correctly. Don't respond out of shame. Don't respond out of guilt. Don't respond out of anything other than what God's telling you to do. Because I'm inviting the band to come up here now. And so if you guys would come on, that would be great. Because here's our chance to respond in this. Don't check out. Don't start thinking, all right, packing everything away and turn your brain off from what God's doing. Allow this to sink in. Allow yourself to the permission to respond and not make an excuse. Let's respond. There'll be people up here to pray with. Lord, supper stuff's right over there. Maybe you just need to alter yourself. I don't know. But let's not walk out the way we walked in. Let's walk out different. Thank you.